Market. The S&P, the ISX stocks. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that is starting the new year in style. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer, and I'm joined by Andrew Page, the Founder, Managing Director, and Chief Cook and Bottle Washer of Strawman.com. G'day, mate. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Yes, we've got uh, quite a big requirement in terms of uh, culinary requirements and, and, <laughs> bottle, and washing of, of bottles. So <laughs> It's important, it's that important, is- mate. A big part of my responsibility. Well, my mum used to talk about the, the, the person. The person in charge was the, was the chief cook and bottle washer. That was kind of the idea. So it's uh, just a, just an <laughs> old hangover from the, from when I was a kid, mate. Uh, happy New Year! It is the second of July. Of course, uh, as the listeners well know, I'm wishing you Happy New Year well in advance. So I won't ask you how the financial year finished or how you fared or what you thought the highlights were because I'm not here and you're not here. We're recording this almost a month in advance, mate. That's how prepared we are. Uh, I'm on holidays right now. I think I'm almost in Adelaide. Uh, if again, assuming assuming the good good little willing the creeks don't rise, I could be on the back of a tow truck somewhere. Let's assume I'm not. Let's assume I'm uh, I'm enjoying my holiday and everything's going well. But as I said last week, we didn't want to leave our listeners without uh, some good things to listen to, and we've got some really cool so st- content to go with it. You know, we 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 don't mind covering the content of the week, and it's nice to give you know listeners views and, and opinions on what's going on and what's changing and what's important. Sometimes it's nice just to sit back and kind of go, hey, on a broader scale. What's some of the more important stuff in investing? Now, the most important thing we have to do, of course, at the beginning of this podcast is ask you to describe straw man. So let's do that first, just for the listening enjoyment of our listeners, then we can uh, we can move on from there. <laughs> well, what exactly is straw man, Andrew? Remind me. Uh, okay, let's try this. Um, you know, it, it was actually, there's a there's quite a selfish motivation behind it. I, I actually wanted a platform where I could share my investing recommendations and insights, right. but I wanted it to be challenged. That's why it's called straw man, really. I want, mm. I want to sort of put these thoughts up and I actually want people to knock these ideas down. So mm. I've got a very, very high conviction that the best way to improve your investing ideas is to challenge them. So if they can stand up to scrutiny, uh, you've probably got something there, and it helps you with your conviction. Right, Make right. sure you've considered all the angles. So, look, mate, mate if, I'm, if I'm ro- if I'm wrong on any of, of my investment ideas, mm, and mm. it's almost guaranteed to be the case, um, I'd rather I'd rather find out um, from my from my peers mm. <laughs> rather than rather than being <laughs> ha- have it you know demonstrated unequivocally on the market when <laughs> yeah, real money is right. at play. The market's a hard <laughs> so, taskmaster, isn't it? Yeah, so you know, I, I put mine up there, and, and hopefully people uh, knock it down, and and people can do the same. They can put their ideas up, and uh, we've seen some really, really strong private investors emerge. So it's uh, that's what it's all about, mate. I could have saved your fortunes to just go on Twitter. You'll get you'll get plenty of knockdowns there. You don't have to even put any money into the <laughs> IT development. You just go on Twitter and say, "Here's what I think," and then the trolls will come and get you. It's very, very easy, mate. You've uh, you you've, you've gone you've overinvested. I think just quite. There's already a platform out there for exactly that. Well, the trouble is, I think I think the the main sort of difference there, the one how we sort of distinguish mm. ourselves, is that the trouble with I mean, Twitter's great. I should just say off the bat, I think if you're in, investing, there's some really great follows on Twitter, even on Reddit story. and Facebook and all that. Kind, there, there really is. Yeah, um, yeah. The the trouble the trouble with it though, the core mm. problem is there's no accountability. So you've got a yeah. lot of noisy talking heads out there that, that yeah. love to do the victory laps, and I bought this at this, and look how oh, smart yeah, I yeah. am. But there's yeah. There's no, there's no public track record. Ignore, ignore so the that, bad stuff. Hold out the good stuff. Exactly. You know what I mean. So at least with at least with Strawman, what we do is yeah. we give you a hundred thousand dollars in play money to build a sample portfolio. That sort of mm-hmm. it's a way to communicate. Well, it's a way to get a bit of a, uh, practice and experience on the market with real prices. Um, yeah. But it's a way to build up a track record and a profile. Mm-hmm. So when you're seeing someone. 
uh, offer some recommendations on straw man, you at least know that, hey, this person's actually knows what they're talking about, you know? Mm -hmm. So it does, I think it very much limits the, the scope and size that we'll have because we do shine a very bright light on you, but at the same time, it gives a platform <laughs> for the really smart private investors to sort of demonstrate their abilities and, and uh, nice. I guess, I guess, earn that accountability, that credibility. Mate, enough of you banging, you know, banging on about your own business. Let's move on. Uh, that is strawman.com, <laughs> though, if you want to go and, if you want to go and check out Andrew. Uh, mate, we, you know what's really cool, too? We're getting some great feedback from listeners. We're not doing a mailbag episode this week, or today, sorry. We are doing it this week. We're back on Sunday. Uh, but uh, lots and lots of feedback saying people, hey, I'm a great, I'm a wonderful member and I'm a member of Strawman. I love them both. And you know, it's a, it's, it's, you're doing well, you're doing a great job and it also shows that the two can coexist, right? The, there's, there's no monopoly on good ideas. And yeah, the other thing is there's no points for originality in investing. Like for all yeah. of the, you know, as, as frankly, as professional investors, one of the things, we're going to talk about this in a second, we're talking about investing biases is what we're talking about today. Uh, one of the things that I find I do and I, our team does and I'm sure most people do is when you, when you kind of do it for a quid, there's some sort of pressure to kind of come up with your own ideas. Somehow you've got to prove your worth, right? And it's mm. a, it just, it makes no sense because when you break it back, it's like, it doesn't matter whose great idea Amazon is. Just take their idea yeah. and run with it. Like you're not going to get less money because you were the second person to think of it. If someone else has got a great yeah. idea, then go with it, right? And so there's there's benefits of not only coming up with your own ideas and being, being accountable, but also going with those people who've got a track record and saying, well, you know, I should always consider their ideas because they might all of a sudden be wrong or they might have been right for the wrong reasons in the past or, you know, circumstances may have changed. But there's no there's no points for originality, right? There's, there's no shame in saying there's only going to be 25 great companies on the ASX. I might as well own them. And if someone else has got to them first or tells me the idea, then I'll happily take that idea and I need to come up with it myself. So uh, that's where oh, they both think dovetail nicely. <laughs> Hundred percent. One of one of my favourite investors is Monash Pabrai, uh, Indian mm. investor. Um, mm. He wrote the Dando Investor, which is a good book. We could have could it's have mentioned good, that when we were talking about books recently. But one of the big ideas that uh, Monash talks about is um, this idea. He calls it cloning, and he just mm. like un unashamedly looks yeah, at yeah, what, totally. uh, uh, people like Buffett and all, all the you know some some really great investors, and just and and doesn't just say okay he's buying it, so therefore I'm buying it, but actually mm. says well this is a great way of getting a short list. Of stocks, yeah, um, and it, yeah, as you say, no, no points for originality, no, no points for degree of difficulty. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and another thing I'm, I'm quite fond of as well is that this idea that the I think it was a Peter Lynch quote, but the the best stock to buy is probably one you already own. That's a good one. Um, you know, so so many of us feel as though okay, I've got a bit of extra money now, I'm going to buy something else. It's like, well, yeah, there's yeah. there's no reason why you can't just add to an existing position um, if it's <laughs> if you've already got it and you've already done all the work on it. It's probably a, a, totally. a really good idea anyway. So so why why dilute that with with another idea just for the sake of going for something different? Um, but we know, you and I both know, having been in the industry for a while, that just people love a new idea. And I do too. I mean, every, everyone loves a new idea because, oh, you know, it's that. Maybe it's that the one, right? Same maybe it's stock the one. that Scott's banging on about, you know. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, but maybe yeah. maybe that's maybe that's the way to go. And, and, and more often than not, I think it is. You're right. And in fact, uh, it, uh, just a quick, not, not a, a half plug, um, and you've done this before yourself, obviously, when you were at The Motley Fool, we do re-recommendations regularly, right? Where and, and exactly your point. Some people say, oh, guys, I want something new. And I'm like, we've got, I mean, the share advisor is now almost 10 years old. We have got mm. the best part of 100 recommendations on our scorecard. We've made over time. Some yeah. have been closed since. And it's like, I want something new. It's like, really? You want my 101st best idea? That's actually what you want? And people don't ever <laughs> yeah. say that yeah. exactly, but they're kind of, that, that's kind of the implication, right? You think it through and like, I could give you something brand new every single month that I've never talked about before. 
And in yep. six years' time, I'm going to have 150 different companies. I'm going to be doing my 151st best idea. And then four mm. years after that, my 200th best idea. Is that really mm. what you want? And it's kind yeah. of, you know, as you say, mate, it's, it's so tempting to say, no, I want something new and different and exciting and, you know, keep, keep firing the gun until I find something I like. It's like, I could. But the odds that when you get to a certain portfolio size, as you say, or scorecard size or straw man, straw size, whatever you guys call that. What's, what's a straw man portfolio? Is it a portfolio? <laughs> Is that what we call it? Just a, yeah, I, I call it a there virtual portfolio just, just to distinguish go. it to make people know it's not real money. Yeah, nice. Okay, so a virtual portfolio size. At some point, you know, the, the odds that your newest edition when you've already got 20, 25, 30 companies is, is a better one than the ones you've got just diminishes dramatically if you're even half good as an investor. Mate, we have gone yeah. eight and a half minutes and we are yet to actually mention the topic of today's conversation. I did mention it passing. <laughs> we haven't got there yet. So let, let's wheel ourselves back from what was, I think, a very useful tangent, but a tangent nonetheless. Um, we're going to talk about investing biases and mm. in a different way. Because we've talked mm. a lot about behavioral investing. We talked about it last week or week before. I can't remember what it was now. We're, we're recording this out of, out of sequence. So maybe I'm giving away the future. I'm not entirely sure. In any case, we are, <laughs> we are going to not talk about the subconscious unconscious biases we're not going to talk about the traps and pitfalls we're going to turn this whole thing on its head because mm. bias is one of those things that actually can be deliberate and actually can be really really useful i have a bias towards driving on the left hand side of the road i reckon that's going to be pretty good for me <laughs> over my life you know it's <laughs> a good I, bias I, to have i i have a bias towards you know eating decent food and and uh you know, and, and not, not swallowing arsenic. I have a bias about all sorts of things right now. Of course, they are stupidly extreme examples. But biases aren't necessarily these horrible things that sneak up on you. They are, to some degree, rules of thumb, or, or as the cool kids would call them, heuristics, things that as investors we kind of navigate through. It, it's, it's the old story of, you know, if you had to wake up every morning and you had to consciously decide whether or not to open your eyes and then consciously decide whether or not to roll over and then individually move each individual muscle to get yourself sitting up and out of bed, and then choose to, I mean, you would be, you'd have brain fatigue by half past eight. You couldn't mm. get through your day if you had to consciously think of everything you do. So you follow heuristics, right? You, you walk a certain way from the bedroom to the kitchen. You, you know, you're closer in a certain spot. You don't have to consciously think about these things. You design your day to limit the thinking time. You know, which train do I get? Well, same train as always. Which way do I drive to work? The same way as always. And so we'd kind of make these, make these decisions that become heuristics or biases or, or, or you know, um, predetermined choices because they help us actually navigate the world. And as investors, you and I, I'm fascinated to see how many of these are similar. I think we'll probably agree on most of them, mate, but um, yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have biases towards ways of investing that hopefully make our process quicker, simpler, easier, less time consuming, and also hopefully make it better, for, easier for us or, or we, to, to earn us better returns because hopefully those biases actually do deliver positive returns otherwise there's no point having them um, now there are some by the way bad biases that we also have um, and so some of those are just things I prefer or like or do um, and they may stop me from making gains in certain areas but overall our job as a group as individuals is to try and make those decision making processes easier quicker faster simpler by using some of these deliberate biases or heuristics so with that intro out of the way, firstly, do you have any thoughts on that? But if you don't, or if you, if you do, what is your first deliberate bias you want to share with our audience, mate? Well, well just a, a quick preamble. I, I think it's it's these are very useful things to have. However, they, they do need to be developed um, with care. We, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we know that there are plenty of bad biases out uh, there as well. So yeah. it's sort of something that... 
Um, I, I feel as though you you need to you need to have a, a good mm. backing for this for this particular bias. I, I love this uh, a quote. I forget who said it, but it's it's this idea of you want strong opinions but loosely held. Yeah. So so um, I've I've definitely got a bunch of very strong opinions in, in all kinds of things, um, <laughs> particularly with investing. But I'd like to think now whether this is true or not. Maybe I'm kidding myself, but I would like to think mm. that mm. if someone was able to outline uh, a different rationale, a different approach, a different perspective, mm-hmm. and was to be able to do that well, that I that I would be open-minded enough to mm-hmm. go, actually, that's yeah. that's a better way of looking at things and then and then to change my mind. So I think I think uh, that that is a really important thing to say. Nice. So, so, so uh, Stanford that- Uni Professor Paul Sappho is the man I, I love that phrase as well, strong opinions weekly held. Mm. He's the man behind yep. that one. So we'll just give him, give him oh, okay. uh, do, do you uh, do you recognition as we work through? But yeah, you're absolutely right, man. I, compl- I love that quote as well. So, hit us with your first. Okay, so the first one. Let's get this one out of the way because I, I think people who have listened to the podcast regularly will know that we have this bias, and this is a bias <laughs> against mining stocks. Right. Um, now, now this is this is a little bit um, controversial, particularly on the ASX, where I think mm-hmm. last time I checked. So there's two thousand stocks on the market. It's something insane, like. I want to say half to two thirds of all listed companies are in the material space. Wow. Because you've got a very long tail of small cap <laughs> exploratory kind of, of companies that, yes, that are yes. out there. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're just, this is, this is the, the stock market for, for people who mm. like mining mm. stocks. And it's a big part of our, of our economy, of course. Um, the other half is uh, buy now, pay later stocks, right? That's pretty much all. It's <laughs> about fast catching up. It's about ten of those. It's, anyway, go on. No, no ten every second gone. day. <laughs> so it, it's it's also one um, that does require a bit of explanation because here's the here's the thing: if you go mm. back at any point in time, if you let's let's take today and you say what was the best performing stock on the ASX over the mm. last five mm. years, I reckon there's a better than even chance it's going to be a mining stock. You know, it it, okay. it it is the stock. This is when you look at not just the top 100, but you look at, at all of them. It's mm-hmm. it's almost always one of the best performing stocks. And that's because you get these stocks that are literally one or two cents or even mm-hmm. less. Mm-hmm. And on the ASX, you go all the way down to 0.1 of a cent um, that, that, that actually achieves what it's set out to do, which is the exception to the rule. But when they yeah. do, they go from one cent to five, ten years later, and it's it's worth eight dollars sixty two. It is you know those multi hundred bagger kind of stocks. But the thing that you also have to recognise is is that on a statistical basis, when you when you look at all of the all the companies that were um, mining companies that were in that cohort, you get this huge spike at one end of the spectrum where there's just insane, ridiculous kinds of returns, and there's very, very, very long tail of mm. of shareholder destruction. Um, so it's it's not an opinion or a bias that's come um, unfairly, I would say. Um, it, it's something that the, the stats tend tend to back up. It just more often than not, it's, it's like the best investment you can possibly make is a lottery ticket. I can spend a couple yeah, bucks right, and exactly. I can lit- <laughs> and I can literally win millions and millions of dollars yeah, right, off, right. off that and investment. Someone, someone does right, so it's obviously the best investment. It's, it's and, but that's the way you've got to think about with with a lot of these yeah, the, these yeah. mining mining uh, companies yeah. is that yeah, yeah just because there are the ones that, that shoot the lights out that is the exception to the rule. Um, so, so yeah, I've 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 got a very I've got a very strong bias against that. Also, too, it's it's about it's about me. It, it's know thyself, which is another yes, really yes. important saying that yep. you should yep. have um, with all things in life, but particularly with investing. 
And I don't possess any great geological insight. I don't possess any great advantage or experience in that particular sector. Now, there are people out there that that's all they focus on. And yep. they can do okay at that because they it's within their circle of competence. They understand what matters for these kinds of companies. It's not just a few ASX announcements that, hey, you got a good drill result. You know, it's it's about understanding uh, the, the geology, the, the cost of extraction, the proximity to export terminals. Uh, they've got a, a, a pretty reasonable and clear view on commodity prices and, mm. and a whole range of things that you go right down the rabbit hole. And it, for me, it's just acknowledging that I, I don't feel as though I possess any particular edge in that field. So for me, yeah. um, I've never, I can't think, yeah, I'm going to say, let me think about this. I think obviously in the early days when I when I first started out, like everyone, I, I definitely had plenty of punts in this area, but I don't think I've touched a mining stock for like 10 or 15 years or so. <laughs> um, how about you? What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I um, I'm so generally speaking. So here's the problem with miners as a rule is they are mining a finite resource, mm-hmm. and so the challenge with investing in a miner is if you had to invest in an individual mine. So so let's let's assume there's a, there's a one mine out there, and you can buy that mine if you want. You would say, hang on, I you know if if I buy, if I buy shares in Woolies for example, they're gonna they're gonna sell groceries in theory forever, or at least for as far as you know, as far, far as forever can take me mentally, right? So at some point, maybe they get put out of business and blah, 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 right? But but theoretically, people sell groceries for decades and decades and decades and decades or go backwards, right? Um, Sol Pats has been around for 100 and something years. You know, there, there's so there's businesses that have been around for a long time. If you buy a mine, that mine is useful to you until it's gone. And so there is a there is a straight calculus. It's almost, it's almost the easiest calculus in the world, as long as you know how much resources there. Because you say, okay, well, I'm going to buy the mine for 100 bucks. Can I take more than $100 worth of minerals out of there? After I've paid for all the equipment, machinery, development, digging, you know, remediation, all that kind of stuff, if I put hundred dollars yeah. in and get one hundred and fifty dollars out over ten years, okay, I know my ROI. It's not very good, but it's, it's something, right? Yeah. The problem is, and whatever, whatever those numbers are, at the end of that ten years, it's gone, literally gone. Mm. And so you got to start again, and you bought, you got to buy a new mine. So you're kind of in this business where, which unlike in almost any other business on the ASX, where you don't you don't run out of, it will just run out of groceries to sell and have to open new mm. grocery stores and shut down the old ones. You know, the, the, uh, um, I'm trying to give another example. Uh, flight Center does, doesn't sell X number of flights. They just close on all the stores and open new stores down the road because it's already sold 100 flights from each store. And so yeah. the, 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 the economics of this are just really, really, really ordinary. Doesn't mean some can't win, as you say. There are other lottery ticket winners. Fortescue is a fantastic story. Just a wonderful, oh, yeah. wonderful story of business success, right? And, and Twiggy went almost broke a couple of times. Has done wonderfully well. So, you know, great credit to him. Mm. But as you say, the rest of them <laughs> have gone broke or at least are on the, in the process of going broke pretty quickly. And so it's just hard to invest in that. The economics don't tend to stand up. And by the way, I don't love the fact there are no, um, there, there's no pricing power, generally speaking, on those miners either. So you've got a business model yeah. that requires you to effectively deplete your, your only asset and buy some more or buy a few. But in any case, each asset becomes depleted after a, a period of time. And there's no pricing power. It, it, it just, it's just a, if you're going to put a list all the attributes you wanted, miners don't make that list. And as you say, then you've yep. got the geological questions over the top. You've got pricing, which you've got no idea what the price is going to be over the top of that. I would avoid them as well. Speaking of economics, so I, I definitely um, agree with your points there. The, the other one is that they're a business that what you would call is very capital intensive. 
Mm. So that means that to just to just to get to the starting line, just to just to be yep. on the playing field, you yep. need to spend you know usually you know tens of millions of dollars just to set up operations before you yeah. before you ship that one that first shovel full of coal exactly. or iron right. or, or gold. At an unknown price, yeah, yeah. At yeah. an unknown, you have no idea what the price is going to be by the time you're ready. Uh, the the, yep. the amount of infrastructure and stuff that you need in place. Con- contrast that with more modern uh, businesses. But I mean the obvious example here is in the technology space where we can build a mm. website right so mm. we pay a, pay some some fees to aws for, right, for right, hosting right. and whatever um and and that's it and then it's like once once the money starts coming in mm. it's just mm. the incremental mm. cost on investment is usually pretty pretty uh, pretty low pretty modest yeah so yeah. you you can you can you know two companies can both generate a million dollars in profit but one may have had to spend 10 million dollars to to yep. get that whereas the other one might have only had to spend a million dollars to get that mm. as, a, as an extreme example so that capital intensity is something yep. that puts me off as well yeah i don't actually you know I, well i will say one thing matt i'm actually un, a little bit unfashionable generally unfashionable uh but in, in investing as well i don't mind capital intensity as long as you know the price you're paying and what you're getting for it so one, one of the things yeah, i would say is I, i'm actually almost so here's the other thing by the way so uh, this is almost an anti-bias right or maybe maybe i'm just maybe i'm just being pedantic for the sake of it or contrarian for the sake of it but you know people say oh, i love SaaS companies because they do x y and z right mm. and that's all true um, and I don't like I don't like other businesses because whatever. If they're priced accordingly, then mm. neither or neither is neither is the. I mean, there, there are there are better businesses, but if they're priced appropriately according to that quality difference, it really doesn't actually matter. I've, I've said before, I think on the podcast about tech, right? Like, there, there's no reason why tech companies have to be better than other companies in in terms of investment returns. All that matters is whether or not the market gets the price. Now, it's possible that tech companies are more often mispriced, and that's a different story. But the quality of the business actually has nothing to do with your investment return or need to have nothing to do with your investment returns unless the market makes a mistake about that. And as always, you're looking for this, what we call a variant perception, right? You're looking for something different mm. about the companies mm. that, that the market doesn't see. And if you see great tech and the market doesn't see great tech, then there's great opportunity there. But on the flip yeah. side, if you see capital intensive business that is generally, as you say, an inferior business model, if I was going to fund that business, I'd rather not. But if I can buy that for a very, very attractive price is overpaying for tech, which is a wonderful business model, but is stupidly expensive. I'd rather buy the capital intensive business. So I, I, I take your point. I don't, I don't mean to, I don't mean to argue with it or, or to, you know, be, be, be pedantic or whatever, but it's just that, that, that bit that kind of just, just kind of claws the back of my brain and say, hang on, there's no reason Amazon should have done better than Woolworths in terms of market returns over the last 25 years, except that the market undervalued Amazon at the beginning. And maybe still yeah. is. Maybe they're undervaluing Woolworths. Maybe they overvalue Woolworths at the beginning. But that idea of, you know, if, if, if the share price is the discounted value of all future cash flows, all we're really saying is for a long time, the market has undervalued tech cash flows, which is completely fine, but it's more a comment on the market than the companies in my view. Is that, is that so the view? No, no, no. That's no. It's, I mean, that's 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 hundred percent true. I mean, that is that is that's the theory behind it all, right? So if 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 something is priced appropriately, it doesn't really matter <laughs> any right, of these right. things that we talk about. It's it's quote unquote in the price, as they say. Yeah. But I think that you, you've touched on the the difference, though, and, and why I have that bias is is that it is undervalued. So so the difference mm-hmm. between uh, so a SaaS company will generally, particularly these early stage ones, they'll, all they'll yeah. be doing is just burning through cash while they're going for the land grab and all of this kind of stuff. But when mm-hmm. when the, when the well, it doesn't always work out this way, but yeah. when it does, the cash flows that come in can be so substantial and the growth can be so um, significant mm-hmm. that, it, that mm-hmm. it is easier because people, people have a, a generally a hard time of looking too far into the future. 
Um, and they have a very big problem in understanding the concept of exponential growth. We're, we're very linear think, thinkers, homo sapiens. Um, yeah, exactly. So I think I, it's because, so you're right, in theory, if it was priced appropriately, it wouldn't, wouldn't make any difference. But, yeah. but because of that limitation that so many of us have, that you just don't, I mean, Woolies is never going to grow its, its top line at 100% compound for the next five years. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But that could absolutely happen with a $50 million SaaS company that gets yes, market traction. Yes. yes. And and, and that incremental cost of, you know, just it just it just explodes mm-hmm. and, and people have a lot of difficulty in, in, in understanding that. Um, and even when people do feel as though, oh, it's priced in, and you, you'll hear these comments saying, oh, yeah, I really like this company. The tech seems really cool, but it's on a price to sales of 15 and that's really high. Mm. And yet, and Doc always made this point, right? So, mm. but yet, <laughs> if it's if it's doubling its sales every year and it does that for a number of years, I mean that yeah, that yeah. multiple comes down really, really, really totally, quickly. Totally, so totally, it's totally. it's it's that I find you're right, but it's that misconception mm-hmm. I find is what gives you the opportunity. Totally, totally. And the, and the, you know, I don't want to steer people away from tech business either. As a result, I just want, I just want to make that point because there is some sense of like tech are better businesses, therefore they'll always have better returns. Like that's that's just mm. fundamentally bad logic. You only get better returns if the market undervalues that tech company. And the market often does. So again, to your point, you're right. Um, It's just worth just just reminding people that there are, you know, Woolies shares doubled from $20 to $40 at some point. And if you can get a double with a a really, really boring, basic everyday business. Low low risk. well, I'll tell you what, I mean, it's a pretty good way to get a d- d- double your money, isn't it? If you can do that in Woolies rather than having to take a flyer on some tech company that may or may not double its sales or profit, um, there's there's better ways of doing it. But again, that, that's just that's just life. Well, you've touched on something else that's really interesting there. Not all returns are equal, and I'm not even talking about different levels. I mean, obviously, a 100% return is better than a 10% return, but there you can have two companies yeah. that both deliver a 100% return, but they're not equal. So the, the, the academics would talk about risk-adjusted return. Yep. So one, one bloke out there got, uh, got 100% return by betting on highly, highly <laughs> speculative stock and got lucky, yeah, yeah. whereas the other person invested in a, in a real uh, genuine <laughs> business with a strong yeah, balance yeah. sheet, good cash yeah. flows. You know, so it's sort of like, yeah, you, the, the, you both ended up in the same spot. It's just that one yeah. person took a huge amount of risk to get there. And <laughs> so for, for me, um, I, I would much – and this is – this is a compromise we all take as investors. I would much mm. prefer something of a lower return, but of a significantly lower risk. Yeah. Um, I mean, by, yeah. by nature, is the, the higher the risk is like, yeah, I might get those great returns, but yeah. you know, by definition, I may actually lose my shirt as well. So you've, <laughs> you've, got, to, you've got to factor in the, 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 the amount of risk that you exposed yourself to in, in achieving yeah. that return. I, I, that's exactly right. Mate, let me go with one of my biases because we, we've got a long time on that, so we'll probably try and rein, rein him in a little bit. Um, I'm gonna, we mentioned it at the beginning, and so it wasn't what I had on my original list, but I just want to call it out early. You talk about copying, right? Copying ideas from Monash Pabroi or me just talking about, you know, mm. there's, no, there's no marks for originality. I'm going to take that one step further. Being in Australia is a really, really great advantage a lot of the time because our companies aren't always the first to market with some of the great ideas in business. Mm. And mm. so if you look at, and I'll, I'll, I'll claim an Australasian company here, Zero. It basically did what Salesforce.com had done seven or eight years earlier. Mm. Kogan is doing, I own shares in Kogan, what Amazon has been doing for two decades, I own shares in Amazon as well. Um, there, are, there are businesses that are, the whole move to SaaS in general, as you say, software as a service. If you can mm. see a business, Templar Webster, doing what Wayfair had done in furniture in the US. Yeah. You know, yeah. imitations aren't always the best result because... Most companies are global these days. There's no reason Wayfair couldn't have come to Australia and been dominant here or Amazon is trying to beat Kogan at its own game. So mm. it's not to say that you can, 
you know, just by the pay limitation. There's obviously, there's a lot of time there's a reason to buy the original anyway. <laughs> you know, don't buy Coke, buy Amazon. Mm. Don't buy Temple Rose, buy Wayfair. I think you should buy both, by the way, mm. but that's a different question. Um, so you, you can, you don't have to just buy the copy, but if you see, you know, an Australian business kind of doing it, it's like, hang on, that, just that looks a lot like how Amazon succeeded or Wayfair succeeded or, or whatever else. Um, or Salesforce succeeded there's a really easy way of just sort of kind of going it's just pattern recognition right that model works mm. isn't there a, an above average chance therefore that it's going to work here with someone else does it yeah there probably is so there you go that's my yeah. my quick bias on copying as a business model yeah nice one um, I, another bias I, I have is um, for for growth companies um, okay. and, and let me say at the at the at the outset um, I actually I actually really dislike this distinction. People say I'm growth or I'm value. Or, <laughs> yeah. I mean, all all sensible investing is value investing right, in right, my right. mind. And that does, yep. and traditionally, that means that oh, okay, you like stocks that have a low PE or something yeah. like that. And I think it's a really uh, simplistic way of looking at it. Go on, mate. Tell As what Charlie Munger said. Uh, uh, Oh, geez, I've forgotten the quote now. It is growth and investing um, are joined at the hip, he says. Joined at the hip, that's the growth one. And value, that's sorry, growth and value. Joined at the hip, yes. Go well, it's, it's to your point about the correct valuations. If, if the market mm-hmm. does have a, a, a clear um, view on all future cash flows mm-hmm. and that is priced appropriately, that, that, that is fine. So you can have mm-hmm. a company, a growth company that's on a PE of 100 versus another more staid and, and, and reliable and established business on a PE of 10, but the PE of 100 might be much, much, much cheaper. It might represent far better value when right, looked right. at the context of all its f- future cash flows. So mm-hmm. so let me just get that out of the way. But but that being yeah, yeah. said, <laughs> I really like I really I really I have not done particularly well as an investor historically by focusing mm-hmm. on companies mm-hmm. that don't have much sales growth. Yeah. And the reason is is that when you're in, you can still do really well on those companies but you've got to get your valuation so accurate. Because you know, it, 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 you, you, there's, there's two elements to a share price. There is what the business is doing fundamentally, and it's what the market is sort of prepared to sort of pay for that. Mm. A very, a very low growth established business. There's not actually. It's not too hard to predict. You know what what their earnings might be. I would. I'd be pretty happy to bet that Woolies is probably going to grow its earnings at sort of like a a mid single digit kind of rate mm-hmm. over the, over the coming decade on average. You know there'll be ups and downs within that. That's 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 a, that's a pretty reliable bet. So therefore, I'm really dependent on trying to forecast sort of market sentiment, which is a, which is a really hard thing. Um, but when you have growth, as you've, you've, you've long said, and I'm probably stealing this off you, which is that mm. growth covers a lot of sins when it comes to valuation. So you don't, if you, look, if let's say for the sake of example, we can both identify a company, we have extreme conviction is going to grow at very, very high double digit rates for, for a long time. Well, whether I pay a P of a 50 or a 40 or a 60, mm. it's really not going to make that much difference over time. It, it's, it's, that, that growth will be so by far and away the dominant determinant of your investment returns that, that it, it sort of makes that secondary consideration far less pertinent, far less important. So mm. I, I love to see companies that uh, uh, have – have not only demonstrated some real traction in their top line in their sales, yeah. Yeah. Um, but have a lot of sales momentum there as well. It's it's also a really nice 
it's the best metric to understand is what's the quality of the service mm-hmm. uh, or the or the good that they're offering. You know, yep. it's just like a lot of these companies are they're, they're offering stuff that I'm never. You know, there might be enterprise software or something that I'm as a as an individual I'm never going to use. But yeah. geez, that's a strong signal to sort of say, well, whoever your customers are, they love it, and a lot of other mm-hmm. people are loving it, and there's really high retention, and they're continuing to engage deeper with you and use more of your product and pay you more of a fee, mm-hmm. and more of the industry mm-hmm. is coming on, and it's becoming more of a standard. That growth, I think. Is, is really, really comforting to me as opposed mm-hmm. to something that might be a really great business but really sort of slow and steady. It just they're harder, they're harder to get. The only way you get really outsized returns on those businesses is when you buy it at a screaming bargain and you manage yeah, to sell yeah. it when the market's rather irrational. And that's, that's again, that, nothing wrong with that. That's, that's certainly possible. Plenty of, plenty of smart investors uh, do that. Um, it's just, it's just for me, I love, I love to see some strong growth because it, it just, it makes my life easier. Yep. I'm going to jump on that one, mate, as well. I'm exactly the same. Um, it's for a couple of reasons too. The, the, the reasons you highlighted, it's just, it's just, you know, you have to, you have to be less precise, less accurate. There's more, and there's more room for error by definition. Mm. Um, one of my, one of my best lines, we might use in a different podcast, but one of the things I, and this, growing revenue is the, is the answer. But I try. I put it in a different context to kind of explain why growing revenue. Obviously, it's nice for its own sake because more sales and more sales. But talk about being more relevant to more people more often. Mm. And that idea mm. of like a business that is, and you've already touched on exactly that. Just that idea of of you know having more people you know think you are the right solution for their needs more frequently mm. um, yeah. and more of them. Right. So you got you. It's all that that combination. Just think, well, why wouldn't you go to Woolworths for your groceries or flights and if you travel mm. bookies or yeah you know, if you can if you can mm. drive. Um, if you can drive, you know, interest and sales and whatever, that makes a heap of sense. So that's, you know, yeah. that, that makes sense. The other reason for me on growth, mate, is that generally speaking, as an investor, you want long-term compound returns. Mm. Now, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna buy cheap assets and try and flip them for a thirty or forty percent profit, if you do that every year, you make a fortune, right? But you've got to be right more often, as you say, because there's not enough upside mm. potential. You also, though, have to do have to make more decisions consecutively and get them right. If I could yeah. buy an Amazon in, I don't know when I bought Amazon, probably five years, six years ago, whatever it was, maybe longer, um, and just literally let it do its thing because it's growing. Mm-hmm. It's like that, again, same thing. It's like, you know, if, if, I, if I buy a steel mill that's undervalued by 30%, when that gap closes, like, well, I guess I've got to get out now because I bought it on purely a valuation basis rather than a yep. business that is simply going to grow in and of itself. And so if I can get an Amazon to grow or, a, or something else to grow and it's got compound growth, I love nothing better than not selling. <laughs> it's just, you know, yeah. I'll get to that. I mean, that's one of my biases actually. But you know, the, the idea of just being able to compound that growth is, is really, really important as well. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, so I'm going to go to a, another bias I have. This is actually an unfashionable bias these days. I have a bias toward retail. And I have a bias toward retail for Peter Lynchian reasons. And Lynch mm-hmm. talks about the scuttlebutt method or buying what you know and that kind of stuff. And for me, I find first-hand experience more reliable and easier to manage and, and evaluate than second or third-hand experience. And what I mean by that is if you've got a B2B software company and someone says, hey, we bought that because it's great. You're like, okay, so you bought that because it's great. Is that really... You know how many how many other people will bought it because it's great? Okay, maybe a few. Okay, maybe that maybe there's something there. And when it's when sales start stop you know growing, there's different reasons for that. You're, I feel like you're kind of second or third hand. You're kind of reaching, you know, through the murk and trying to trying to see clearly. I'll, I'll change my metaphors here. You're almost looking through smoke, right? Trying to see if you can see in the distance exactly what you think it is. 
versus if you're actually there, you know, in retail land, you don't don't have to be a customer, but you're seeing other people interact with the, with the brand or the product. You're seeing them, you know, engage with it, either buying or not buying, going in the shop, not going into the shop. You're seeing the range of changes. You get data more frequently. It's a it's a it, it tends to have lower barriers to entry. So it's not the perfect. I'm not saying it's the perfect industry, but for me, I find the ability to really. You know, I've I've done reasonably well with retail. Um, uh, Premier Investments we've done really really well with for for share advisor members. Um, it, it just it just to me it's just easier to look at, look at those businesses and say a bit like the growth thing, right? Is I can I can more easily um, intuit the sort of growth rates and potential that a business has rather relying on well over there I guess the numbers are growing and I guess more people seem to be using that service and I guess that seems to be good and the competition doesn't seem to be quite as big but it's harder to see things coming it's just, it's just much harder in a first person way to evaluate industry so that's my and I'm not, I'm not biased against other things necessarily but I do like retail for those reasons I'm going to I'm going to slightly disagree with you awesome yeah um, do it yeah I, look I, 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 I don't like retail um, and, and now there, there there are some really good exceptions to the rule, though. But I, I think one of the things that's very hard for me is is um, the fickle nature of consumer preferences. So there are some brands that are eternal, you know. Um, but but there are for a lot of for most retailers, when you walk down Main Street and you see the kinds of shops that you pass. That is a very, very, very tough business to have where, where, yep. where, where people Time. tend to be very focused on price, which means your margins yeah. tend to be really yeah. small. Yeah. There's massive competitive dynamics at, at, at play there. You know, you might have the, you know, you might be the dude who's just making a fortune because you, you were the first to bring fidget spinners to the market. Yeah, and then, right. you, you know, which is a great example, by yeah. the way, you know, yeah. poppets yeah. is the latest thing that my kids have got. Um, and then you blink and then uh, poppets. Oh man! Oh don't. yeah, no, stupid yeah, little yeah. things. And if you don't, if you don't know, don't don't bother looking it up. They'll be, they are a fad. Your kids. <laughs> yeah, like and the first person, the first person who started mm-hmm. selling them those little pop up uh, stalls in the mall made a fortune <laughs> yeah, because yeah, everyone right. it was a fad at school. It was like yo-yos back in the day or whatever. You know, showing my age, but it just it, those, it, yeah. it, it 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 it's just sort of like. <laughs> These things start flying off the shelf, but there is yeah. nothing to stop someone else going. It, capitalism, True. you know, profits. When it comes to capitalism, profits, it, it, it's it just draws in competition, yep. right? It just it like does. moth to a flame. Someone goes, oh, geez, that person over there is making a fortune. I'm going to sell that too. Yeah. And it's it's Jeff Bezos's whole thing with your margin is my opportunity. Okay, you're 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 making mm-hmm. a you're making a fifty percent margin. I'm happy to make a forty five percent margin. Thanks very much. Right, right, and then right. everyone goes, well, you know, same thing, much cheaper over there. I'll go there. And then another person comes along, and goes, well, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take a thirty percent margin. Which is when you yeah. look at it at, yeah. at an industry perspective. Mo- and again, there are exceptions, but most retailers have really really thin net profit margins because yeah. of that competitive um, dynamic. Another thing that I, I, I find difficult with, with um, typical retailers, this is less of a thing as we move online, but with brick and mortar retailers, mm. let's say I'm doing real, I open up a shop and I'm doing really, really, really well and I want to expand. It, I don't have a huge amount of operating leverage. There's only so mm. much I can put, there's only throughput I have on any particular store. Um, so I have to open up another store. Now, now I've got another rent or lease obligation or property. I've, I've got to purchase. I've got to fit that out. I've got to stock that. I need extra warehousing requirements. And so you don't have that that scale advantage that mm-hmm. tends to unlock with other business models. So anyway, I'm not I'm not a I'm not at a polar opposite end of, of the spectrum with you. But it, it is it is one of those things that I've 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 
have struggled personally in that in that you area. Know, you know what's fascinating? Um, what I love about this conversation is it breaks up a little bit the the general bias from the specifics, right? So I can imagine someone listening to this saying about mining companies, you and I just both poo-pooed saying, but I can tell the difference. So your my, my thought to your, your retail example is, okay, but if you see something like a premier investments that seems to have, at least in my mind, something different that allows them to maintain sales growth and above average margins, if they have something yeah. that dif- makes a difference or Amazon, that's something that makes them different and, and allows them to succeed where others as you say in a stupidly competitive market for me i'm like yep. hey that's that's the opportunity right that they are the exception that's that's where the money is yeah. and i, oh, I think some people are saying the same sure. thing about mining right exactly the same thing of like but if you just see yeah. the company x or, or commodity y um so that's that's why those things these things are biases rather than absolutes we're not saying you can't make money in retail you can't make money in mining we're just saying generally speaking unless you feel unless you actually i was gonna say unless you feel you have an edge i've stopped saying that because people go, oh, i think i've got an edge yeah no, no, no! You have yeah. to like. There has to be a reason you've got one. Like, there has to be demonstrable yeah. reason. And you guys, oh, no, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've got an edge. Oh, yeah, I'm a better than average driver. Yeah, yeah we all think yeah. so, dude. That's you know, that's not enough. You've actually got to know or have a reason to think so. Um, anyway, yeah. that just as, a, as, as an aside, I'm, I'm glad yeah. you made. I'm glad you made the point because yeah, please don't send us any hate mail. This, this is just <laughs> our personal biases. Well, if you do and, send and the thing. Yeah, thinking behind it, but just you know, um, just make sure they're 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 well they're well formed those biases that you have. Um, just expanding a little bit on the retail side of things, I also have a bit of a bias against s- service companies in general. Yeah, right. So service companies are people businesses. So this would be uh, things like. Uh, a law firm or mm-hmm. doctor surgeries or things yep. where it's just like you take the lawyer out. And that's the asset, right? That that yeah, is. Yeah. There's no machine there that sits. It's your assets go up and down the elevator every morning and every afternoon, mm-hmm. and they're very, very, very tough businesses because there's this hard thing to measure in terms of the caliber quality of people that are that are working there, which is which is really yeah. difficult. But also yep. that asset can decide, screw this, I'm I'm out. I'm going to go work for a competitor, or I'm just going to retire. <laughs> or so so they they tend to be very very hard. That being said, they tend to work really well when the wind is in your sails. So do you remember the mining services boom? Yeah, we had the I mining do. boom. You know, the mining boom was you know obviously you could do really well in some mining companies there, but the yep. real money, the real money was made in the mining services companies. These are the guys who yep. sell the picks and shovels, right? And yep. and um, they just made squillions. And then when the music stopped, they were all just knocked for six because all of a sudden you've got all these very expensive engineers sitting around twiddling their thumb you've got no work for them to do but they still expect a salary Mm -hmm. and rightly Mm -hmm. so so now I've got to pay redundancy costs Mm -hmm. you know so there's another big hit to the balance sheet and then when when the industry cycle turns again it's like then it's a scramble to to find hire and find the right people and to get them acquainted with your systems and processes and that it's a, so they 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 can be very very difficult businesses to run. Mm-hmm. I prefer where the, the the core assets of a business are actually owned by the business unequivocally. Mm-hmm. You know whether that be an IP, whether that be in brand, whether that be in technology, whether that be in something. It's like you know you can lose some of your best executives in Coca Cola, but they'll probably be okay because they've got mm-hmm. the formula to make Coke. Right? Um, so yeah, it's another. It's another. Again, there are always exceptions here, and I've I've definitely had some service businesses in the past. IT services is another another really good example there. Uh, in fact, um, but yeah, mm. you, you it's it's something I tend to steer clear of for all those reasons. Yeah, I like it. I like it. It's um yeah, it's a, it's a good one. But I'm going to go to one which is kind of I've already alluded to, but just the idea of being slow to sell. So mm. my general my general view is that. Once I've owned a stock, 
I tend to be slow to sell. Now, that can be also the endowment effect as a subconscious bias, right? So I've got it now, so it's more valuable if I didn't have it, so I'll hang on because I like it more. And so I need to be careful what's the, what I separate. Just, what's the endowment uh, bias, just to uh, expand on just that? What it just said, what it, if I had something that worth more than if I did. no, so basically, basically the idea is it was it was proven it was proven with give some me a answer. better explanation. <laughs> exactly, yeah. No, Scott, you didn't do a very good job. That's what I'm trying to say quietly. Um, so, so there is some experiments with. I think I'm pretty sure it was uni students because that's what we tend to do experiments with these days. So they're, they're kind of you know they're uh, they're, they're cheap and and are desperate for money, so you use them for experiments. Um, where they they had these coffee mugs and they they gave the coffee mugs to half the students, uh, and then they uh, other half the students didn't get a coffee mug. And they basically wanted to know how much the students who didn't have one would pay for them, and how much the students with them wanted to part wanted to wanted it from them to part with them. And mm. let, let's pick some numbers, but effectively, the students with them average. They said, "Look, this is worth." They gave them to them free, right? So that was the first thing. I'm not going to sell unless you give me five bucks. Students mm. who want it, I'll give you a dollar for it. Why the difference? Mm. It's, it's a coffee mug, right? There's no reason why having one is worth more than not having one in the sense of how much you're prepared to trade for it. It's like you know, if I know if I know a can of coke at the, at the shop's worth a dollar. Uh, you know, then I should be prepared to pay a dollar or get a dollar for it in the same circumstance. If, if I if I was at a servo, I paid a dollar for a can of coke, which would be not very common these days. Like eighty five dollars for a can of coke at a servo. Uh, if I if I go on off the shelf and paid a buck, and someone came up to me as I literally had just paid the money and said, "I'll give you a dollar for the coke," I'd be like, "Okay, that's a fair trade. Sure, I own mm, it. Mm. You, you know, go back and get one another one for another dollar. It's worth a dollar. You know that. I know that. But once you once you psychologically own something and take it yep. away." Now, yes, there's hassle going back to the shop and Coke's probably a bad example for that purpose. But if you were literally in front of someone and I said, look, I paid a dollar for this Coke and you say, I'll give you I'll give you dollar twenty for it. I'll say, no, no, it's worth more than that. Well, it's not worth more than that. You only paid a dollar for it. And so that's the endowment effect and it really matters, right? So let's put that aside yeah. as an unconscious bias for a second. Um, but but the, so I need to be careful I don't do that and make, make that, a, you know, make an excuse for that. But generally mm. speaking, here's my thing. If I've done a whole heap of work to decide that I wanted to buy a company, I've looked at its quality, I've looked at its value, I've looked at its growth potential, I've looked at its management, I've looked at its balance sheet, I've looked at its competitors, its customers, its suppliers, I've looked at the market, all that stuff. And I think, you know what? I think that's worth buying. Then when I think, oh, maybe I should sell it for whatever reason, the question comes down to, if I've made a genuine mistake in my analysis, that's one thing, right? That's okay, okay, fine. I've, I, made, I thought the market was going to be $100 million, turns out it's going to be half a million dollars because I fundamentally misunderstood something. That's very different. But if a company underperforms for a quarter or a half or a year, I thought it was going to grow you know, strongly and maybe grow only grew at 5% or um, you know, a business like has long-term potential is having a bad year. Am I going to part with it just because it's having a bad year? And the answer is almost certainly no. If, it's, if, if all the original analysis I did was right and it justified its position in, in my portfolio, and you said earlier, Andrew, 2,000 companies on the ASX, if it's one of the best 20 or so, so I've got it in my portfolio, the odds I should sell it straight away because there's something going wrong as a one-off the, the, just the logical reality of that is just really, really small. That, that you know, that all of a sudden it's no longer one of the best companies on the ASX, or in my view, or best value companies in the ASX. Again, sometimes some things do happen. They just they are big deals. There's fraud, or something blows up, or laws change. Okay, of course you want you want to sell at that point. But if I've done all the work to, to justify its quality and value, selling in a month, three months, six months, even twelve months because I've had a couple of bad numbers or, or something's you know looks slightly off or, or maybe it's not as good as I thought it might have been originally I'm always almost always going to give management the opportunity to prove themselves and the company to prove itself rather than selling too quickly and running away just just and there's plenty of examples I've used the Domino's one on this podcast way too many times um, mm. you know same store sales started to slow when the shares went from six to or eight to eight to thirteen dollars same store sales mm. started to slow 
And I thought, oh, maybe it's over. Oh, okay, well, mm. uh, oh, okay, I'll, I'll sell. Now, looking back, they started to slow, then they accelerated, kept accelerating for the next, next five or six years. Now the shares are over yeah. 100 bucks. Um, that's, but it's a really good example of why just because there's a bad result or a couple of results, or, or just not great results, if you've done the work and the company is the quality you think it is, give, give it time to prove itself rather than jumping ship at the first opportunity. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. There's, there's, I think you want to be very um, decisive and deliberate when the time, when if your thesis is busted, it's time to get out. You stop all the endowment and rationalization and all of those other kinds of things. <laughs> yeah, Just yeah. get the hell out. Profit loss, whatever. You got it wrong. Get out. But it's about it's about getting out for the right reasons. And yeah, it, yeah. I think anyone who's ever been in business before understands this more is that even the very best businesses out there, I mean, everyone has a bad quarter. Everyone yeah, has yeah. these black swan left field events. That, and again, mm-hmm. objectively, it's bad news. You know, it's, it's disappointing. Yeah, yeah. It's something that is not what you mm-hmm. want to see as an owner of the business, as a shareholder. But that... Was that why you bought the share for? Did you buy a share thinking this business is just going to have eight consecutive quarters of knocking it out of the park? Or, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe you did. And that if you did, well then, yeah, maybe you should sell. But if your mm-hmm. investment thesis was, actually, I think this is a really strong, capable business that, you know, in five and 10 years is going to be much bigger and profitable than it is today. Yeah. Notwithstanding the inevitable speed bumps along the way, well then, then your thesis might not necessarily broken. It's a question I always try to ask when something goes wrong because it's it not like if something goes wrong, when something goes wrong because it will for a business. Exactly. It's about it's, right. it's about yeah, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. I try to answer the question: Is this a structural problem or is it a cyclical problem? Yeah, right. You know, is yeah. is Premier yeah. having is Premier shares down fifteen percent in a given month because Smiggle mm. had a disappointing mm. quarter or something like that, yeah, or right. is it be or is it because course there's, there's something with the business that's fundamentally broken and they're that's two right, very right. very different things so they're all i mean you know it, it, it so yeah you can have bad news mm. which isn't really pertinent to the core of your rationale for investing yeah. and that is yeah. that is super important to distinguish and like um before i move on to mine i just the, the way i always say for, for any investor is just to keep mm. an investment diary write it down why are you buying mm. this share and and don't just yeah, write down yeah, everything yeah. you love about a business write down everything that can go wrong and mm. what would cause you to sell and do this before you buy the shares because you'll yeah, you'll yeah. start making all these rationalizations <laughs> after the case exactly exactly do you know what, do you know what i mean so if, if, if you can do that yeah. you'll be a far better investor so i I, with, I definitely agree with that point with one with one exception i will say and the only, the only mm. i would say is the reasons to sell thing you can put down a reason of a dozen risks the company might face. And one of those risks will come true. Mm. Doesn't necessarily, depending on the size of the risk, the size of the impact, doesn't mean you even should sell. I think, I, I think you're right about, you know, right about why you would sell, but also being mm. really clear and careful up front. So you don't have to mm. either ignore that or second guess it or add to it when the time comes, right? So if you know, I will sell if sales growth slows, okay, but be careful because there's a risk that sales growth slows at some point. Take dominoes, right? Sales growth slowed mm. between eight and $13. And then accelerated now it's 140 dollars stock, yeah. and so you know, I, I don't, you're not, again, you're not wrong, mate. No, just to, for, for listeners as they think about that, just be careful you don't make a list so long that every company by definition is going to trigger it at some point, and so you're selling everything because well, I wrote down the risks and risk number 42 was you know the CEO went to the Bahamas on holidays and didn't like that idea, so I sold this. It's like okay, you, you know, reasons why to your point, the thesis is busted specifically, mm-hmm. not just something isn't wasn't awesome, and, and as long as you yes. get that bit right, that's the important one as well. Yeah, you want to you want to try and be as specific as you can. Definitely, exactly, exactly. Your turn. Um, okay, so uh, look, I've got a bias towards small cap stocks. I like small okay. stocks. 
um, when I Gamble. say sm- it, it, it's such a it's such a um, <laughs> relative thing yeah, because there there are like anything I, there's no there's no formal definition but I think most yeah. people in in this industry would sort of say sort of below about three hundred million is small cap yeah. yeah. Um, but that's a three hundred million dollar company. That is not a small company in my yeah, book. Right, right. Um, but but it's not just for the sake of being quote unquote small that I like mm-hmm. it. I, the, the, the reasons I like it is is one they tend to have more growth potential just by virtue of the yeah, fact that nice. they are they are smaller. They're they're at an earlier stage of their development. All of the great mm-hmm. you know top fifty companies that are out there were you know, $10 million mm-hmm. companies at, at one stage. And mm-hmm. and the, the, the real wealth for shareholders <laughs> was made in that journey to large cap. Um, not, not that you can't make money off large caps, not at all. Um, but, but I love that growth potential. I also really like it as well because when I'm buying Telstra, when I'm buying BHP, I am competing against the analysis mm-hmm. of every single professional investor and institution in the country People who have much greater access to management, much greater insights, much greater resources, mm-hmm. much greater experience than me. And it's really, really hard. When I'm fishing in a small pond, well, it's probably me and a few idiots on hot copper. <laughs> you know, so I, I I don't have to be I don't have to be super smart. <laughs> Apologies to the idiots on, on hot copper. Um, uh, you know, you know what I mean. I, just, I don't have to be a, I don't have I to don't. be Einstein here. I just I just have to be a little bit smarter than the average. Yeah. I have to or, yep. or have, have done a little bit more work on the. I know I am against a lot of hot retail money that is buying things because it's going up and they are selling because it's going down. There's yeah, no fundamental yep. understanding of the business. I've got a huge, I've, I just mm, feel as though mm. I've got a, a huge edge there. Um, uh, so yeah, so so I really like th- that as well. It's also, oh. it's one of those things too that a lot of the big guys stay away from, not for any ideological, philosophical reason. They just physically can't. Buffett is never mm, going to mm, buy mm, a $50 million company because yep. he just... Even if he gets it and it, it goes up a thousand x, it just doesn't move the dial relative to the Mate, sum. And just, that's just quite easy. He's not going to buy a billion dollar company. That's how much he's got. He's hundred and fifty odd yeah. million, billion dollars in cash. He's not going to buy a billion dollar company. He's just not. He just there's no there's no there's no, there's no value in him doing because even if he, even if it doubled, it would make yeah. a fifteenth of a change to to the to the value of Berkshire. Right? He needs those big big deals to put lots yep. of money to work. Oh, there's a company I was quite fond of recently. It's unfortunately had a takeover offer, so it's going to be off the bourse soon. But um, uh, Dragon Tail was a company I really liked, and I got a few fund manager mates, and I was just like, hey, like, check this out. I think it's really good. And they, yeah, yeah, it's really cool, but I'm not going to buy it. It's like, mm-hmm. well, why not? I was, well, I, there's not enough liquidity on the market. It would, it yeah. would take me yep. three months yep. of consecutive buying to, to build up a decent position, and then it would mm-hmm. be almost impossible to sell. So <laughs> it's just like they can't go there. They can't Correct. go there. And, and I, I feel as though- Great for us. Great, great for no. I, and mm. I unfortunately don't have a hundred million dollars of capital to play around with. So you know, if I suckers. can buy five, those, those five suckers only a hundred million dollars. <laughs> you know, idiots. Um, you know, but for me, it was you know, I'm from these kinds of companies. I'm you know, I don't know, five ten grand is actually not that hard to buy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's so I, I I really like that. And the other thing is as well as I feel as though. Talking about edges before, I think one of my edges, if I can say this yep. humbly or, or honestly enough, is that I feel as though I'm pretty good on the on the emotional temperament kind of things. Volatility mm-hmm. doesn't bother me as much as a lot of people, and right. these small caps are very volatile. So they, you know, one day you feel like a genius is up twenty percent, the next day it's down fifty. It moves all over the place, which yeah, yeah. most people can't. Co- I, I don't 
doesn't bother me too much. And mm-hmm. and and in that space um, where where I can sort of prosecute that edge a little bit more, it just leads to to outsized returns. So I, yeah, I like I like my small caps. No, I like that a lot. I mostly agree. Um, I think it's 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 also. I think you're. I think again, as a bias, right? This, this is this is always why there's exceptions to the rule. If you look at the U.S. markets, the likes of Google and Apple and Amazon and Facebook are growing still at twenty percent plus per year. And mm-hmm. so I think there's there's you know there's there's definitely there's examples of both. And like with all of these biases, yeah. that, that's the key. The key theme here is you know if you've got to if you've got to drill down and say what what do I look at this morning, rolling mm-hmm. the dice on a hundred two thousand companies, pick one, starting again is stupid. So narrowing yeah. down, narrowing down by saying you know what I'm going to look at. It. Origin or AGL or Woolworths or Coles, look at some smaller caps or any of the other advice we've talked about. Um, so, like, I mostly agree. I think, particularly in the Australian market, the mid and small cap area is the place where we find most opportunities for the reasons you've absolutely pointed out, mate. So, I would completely agree with that. Um, I, and for the most part, that's absolutely true. I, I you know, it, it probably just depends on for me the market size, opportunity, the maturity of the company, all that kind of stuff. And there's, there's exceptions to prove the rule. I, I think you're dead right. Uh, but I wouldn't rule out particularly in the US. I own Amazon and Google for the record. Um, I, I think there are there are big companies with with pretty attractive futures. Back totally on that, agree. to your point, the reason the reason that the, the big guys don't look at little companies give it potentially some opportunity if there's opportunity there. Um, on the flip side, the general undervaluation, as I said, I, I, I'm speaking on both sides of my mouth. On one side, I'm saying there's no reason that tech should be a better investment return. But it just also happens that the market still, as you said about the exponential stuff, mm. still despite all that, I don't think is valuing some of those big tech companies. Certainly the last five years has said versus then versus now. If they're, if they're right now and were wrong then, that's the assumption. Um, yeah. that, that growth has come from a, a lot of that as well. But I'm yeah. going to wrap it up with a really quick one. And you can have a last one if you want to and then we'll, we'll get out of here. Um, this is one which is kind of partly a bias and partly a, an investing heuristic. And again, that's why these things are so close together. Is it really a bias? I'm not sure. But I have a preference for founder managers or founder CEOs. And 100%. That's one of those attributes where, you know, there's an attribute as a bias. You, you can choose it, right? But if you, th- if you said, uh, you know, I would, I would bet that two, two portfolios created through nothing other than does this company have a founder manager or does it not? Put them two mm. side by side. I would, mm. I would back if I could, if I could literally buy an ETF. I'm not a shorter, right? So I'm not saying we should do this, but but conceptually, if I if I did a pairs trade, I would happily go long the founder ETF and short the non-founder ETF. And I'm pretty sure over time I'd make a very large amount of money with that with that trade because yeah, not not even because necessarily professional managers air quotes you know, that's your phrase I like it um, partly pejorative which I like, uh, but I'm <laughs> not even saying that not even saying they're necessarily bad at their jobs just just that. If you have a founder in charge, it's probably smaller and younger, by the way, to your point. It's probably mm. someone who's got a vision for the thing, who's going to b- knock down walls, who's not probably not captured by the market or captured by orthodoxy, um, mm. finding different, better ways to do things. Um, Dicker Data is a company I talked about this morning on, on oh, this morning, a month ago. Great company, company. <laughs> great founder. Right, right. David Dicker, yeah. And, yeah, exactly. And so, so it just one of those businesses like goes like, completely under the radar they're just mm. operating in the interest of, of shareholders because they are fellow shareholders. They own most of the company With themselves. Major shareholders, yeah. Right? So you, you get to be basically a, a minor, minor shareholder in a family business, which, you yeah. know, has, can have its problems and, and you won't get as much democratic say and all that kind of stuff. So you have to take it with mm. a grain of salt. But, but probabilistically, I'd much, much, much rather invest in a business run by a founder than one that was run by someone who wasn't. And again, I, I don't avoid those who aren't. But if I see one that looks half decent and there's a founder, that's a, that's an extra oh, yeah. tick in that, or a couple of ticks in the in the in the pros box that makes a massive difference. 
I 100% agree, mate. The, the, the founders tend to be, well, they're the ones that created the thing, right, in the first place. Exactly. They also, so they have, they have the vision that's sort of behind it, but also they tend to be, they're trying to build something here. So yeah, yeah. What, what, what you have with so many of the professional management class is that they're really, they've kind of been captured by all the mm, analysts mm. in the market. They're just trying to manage next quarter's earnings, you know, and they can do really well at that for a time. And again, there's always exceptions here. But, but the founders tend to be thinking out five and 10 years. You know, they, they are more than happy to depress profitability yeah, exactly. for the current right, year. Right, right. They couldn't give a staff if the market doesn't, yeah. you know, yeah. if share price falls away because they've probably got a well-capitalized business and they don't, there's no reason. They're not looking to sell anyway, so why do you need a high right, share right, price? Well, or, you know, not, yeah, you know that, yeah. they, they'd take it if it was given, but that's not their focus. So yeah. they, will, they will more often than not deliberately uh, – restrict the potential cash flows to shareholders for the, for the advantage of being able to keep that, retain that mm-hmm. and generate much, 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 much more in the future. So mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really agree with that one. It's, it's or just, or just, just on that too, you might not necessarily be the founder or, but, but it's that skin in the game kind of thing. So people who will manage mm-hmm. CEO who have a lot of shares in the business is, is same, the same kind of argument holds. The, yeah, exactly. the, 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 the difference, the, the, uh, the distinguishing thing there for me though mm-hmm. is, so generally speaking, as part of your long-term incentive plans and all of this kind of remuneration yeah. structures that they have, yeah. you'll get shares anyway. So I mean, every CEO has shares in their company. But if I've gotten a very, you know, relative to their overall wealth, it's a very small percentage and they were gifted to mm, them anyway. Mm, mm, mm. That's very different to the person who on market has been buying yep. shares aggressively and represents a significant part <laughs> of their right. shareholding. That like money talks and BS walks, you know? And yep. so yep. every CEO is out there telling a good story, but the ones that are actually backing it up with their own cash on market, mm-hmm. They might still be wrong, but you know, you know what they really think. You know what they, you know, they, they, they genuinely like. I remember with Alcidian, which done really well for me and on Strawman. Um, Kate Quirk was was in in uh, the the COVID induced slump of last year. Was buying as a lot of shares, like significant value of shares. Yeah. Like what a signal that was. Like that yeah. that really made me stood up, stood stand up and pay attention. Mm, no, I agree. I agree. I'm gonna I'm gonna finish just with one thing. Just talk about founder owners. I mean, Amazon shareholder, I've said that a million times, and it's easy in hindsight to say, oh, of course, Amazon was successful, and then see everything as if it was always inevitable, right? So hindsight bias, mm. speaking of unconscious biases, are one of those Survivorship really, really bias. things. Right, so there's all that stuff going on. But I, but I still want to read, so this is from 1997 Amazon shareholder letter, right? And, and all mm. the things you just talked about. So Bezos says, and I'll quote a couple of paragraphs here, quote, we believe that a fundamental measure of our success will be the shareholder value we create over the long term, and he italicizes long term. This value will be a direct result of our ability to extend and solidify our current market leadership position. The stronger our market leadership, the more powerful our economic model. Market leadership can translate directly to higher revenue, higher profitability, greater capital velocity, and correspondingly stronger returns on invested capital. Our decisions have consistently reflected this focus. We first measure ourselves in terms of metrics most indicative of market leadership, customer and revenue growth, the degree to which our customers continue to purchase from us on a repeat basis and the strength of our brand. We have invested and will continue to invest aggressively to expand and leverage our customer-based brand infrastructure as we move to establish an enduring franchise. And I just mm-hmm. thought, mate, end quote, I just thought that was a, a remarkable, mm-hmm. um, uh, if, if, you, if you do yourself a favor while you're listening to this, go and Google Amazon 1997 shareholder letter. This is the first one when they went public. 
And it is just a... It's a classic. It, it's, well, it, and it's a blueprint. Like, it's like they did exactly that. And Bezos was a vision. Now, again, we can say in hindsight, 25 years later, well, of course he did well. And you can't, you can never, you know, you can't get away from the reality of you said of survivorship bias and, and hindsight mm. bias and all that kind of stuff. But it is also really hard to not look at that and go, wow, like the, a, they, a, they knew what they were doing. B, they did exactly what they were going to do. And they did it relentlessly despite the markets. Every, you know, remember the Amazon.bomb uh, was it Forbes? I think one of the, one of the business, US business um, magazines famously put Amazon.bomb on the front page of their <laughs> of their magazine, right? And it's just one of those things right. where and it could have gone badly, right? So again, this is survivorship bias, absolutely. Uh, and, it's, and it's hindsight bias, but it's just, it is remarkable when you talk about founder owners, Bezos was so incredibly clear at listing. This is what we're going to do. We're going to mm. stick with our guns. We're not going to you know do what the market wants to do in the short term. We're not going to try and penny pinch the, the quarterly dividend or we're not going to try and impress anybody we're just going to try and do things that make create long-term value. I just thought it was a really, really strong starting point as, as a way to get going. Love it. Yeah, definitely go read it. Very good. We're done. Andrew, we are going to come back this Sunday, or at least that Sunday in some number of days' time at some month from here because, again, I'm still on holidays. But we will come back. Will you join me? I will. I wouldn't miss it. Excellent. Now, while we're away, we do, well, we've got to have something to come back to, by the way. So if you have any questions, comments, or feedback, jump on the socials, as I say every single week. Jump on Twitter. Go to Sage underscore Simeon or Strawman Invest, uh, Andrew's two Twitter handles. You can, get the, you can get me at TMF Scott P on Twitter and Insta. Speaking of Insta and Twitter, also The Motley Fool at The Motley Fool AU. You can hit us up on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia and Scott Phillips Money, just facebook.com slash the Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money and of course info at fool.com.au if you want to send us an email sometimes those with longer questions or just people who prefer email can go that way and our crack member service team will make sure they get to you do subscribe to the podcast do leave us a review leave us a rating if you wouldn't mind tell your friends uh, the more the more the merrier in our little foolish and straw man-ish band can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I'll, work on that. I'll work on that while I'm on holidays I'll come back with something <laughs> when I get back in the meantime we'll see you Sunday Fool on see you later The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.